Hey guys, I'm Adam Smith. I'm a mindset and high performance coach, and I am on the Revenue Relationships podcast today. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. And as you heard from that introduction, we have Adam Smith with us today. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am fantastic, my friend. Fantastic. And as you heard Adam say, he is both a mindset and high performance coach. Now, Adam, there's a little bit more to your story, and and I, I know that, but your big emphasis is helping executives and business owners get better in the areas of health and mindset. Am I right in that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's like a gotcha. specialist area. So it doesn't necessarily limit us to just those individuals. We've got other people that are not business owners, that are middle management. Some people are employees and what have you. But ultimately, uh, yeah, it tends to be the burnout business owner that we specialize in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And as you all could probably tell from listening to my fantastic guest here, Adam, he is not from America. <laughs> he's, he's from the UK. So he is several hours ahead of us and has made time uh, for us in his busy schedule to arrange this interview. So again, thank you, Adam, for being here. No oh, pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And the name of your company is called A Game Consulting. How'd you come up with that name? Yeah. So the business actually began with three of us. We were all called Adam, believe it or not. So um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it was, um, I've known both of them for many years, but they'd never actually met before. So mm. when I first started my business, they were both clients of mine and I just loved working with them because they were so positive and they actually impacted me, even though I was the one helping them. So uh, I saw a bit of a gap in the market, not for a business called, you know, the three Adams, uh, but because I was a mindset coach. One of the other Adams was a physio and personal trainer. He's no longer with the business now. He's gone on to a new challenge. And uh, the other Adam, who's my current business partner, Adam Mayhew, is a nutritional therapist. So I thought, there are great nutritionists, there are great personal trainers, and there are great mindset coaches, but I don't really see an offering that's doing all three. So I asked them both if they'd be interested because they were both trying to get their coaching businesses off the ground. And I'd really missed being part of a team at this point. Mm. And just asked them, do you want to collaborate and set up a business together? You know, collectively, yes, with it, you know, instantaneously. I was like, fantastic. And then um we just decided to come up with it. Obviously, A game has got lots of positive connotations attached to it. We didn't want to really have the consultancy, if I'm being completely honest. It's just A game has been taken many times over. So <laughs> yeah. um, we thought A game coaching, but that was taken. Uh, bring your A game was taken. So we just said A game consultancy, but really we just say the Adams of A game. And obviously, A being the letter of all of our names kind of worked in there as well. So uh, yeah, it was just like a, kind of a play on words, but also with a positive meaning attached to it. Sure. You know, and the fact that you used the word consultancy in the name of your business actually can give you a lot of freedom because you may end up doing some work for clients that isn't specifically coaching because consulting is different. 
than coaching. There are some people who tried to say they're the same. They're not. Just like mentoring is not the same as coaching. No, no. And we, we very much uh, have a really nice hybrid between the two because the, there's, coaching's interesting for me. It's not just around uh, leading the client to their answer. This is in my opinion, because everyone's got a different view on this. I very much do that. However, um, there's some very successful coaches over the years in sports teams that are very directive. And, you know, you could argue they're more mentors. So likes of Bill Jackson and uh, people like that. They were pretty good at what they did too. So uh, in football terms now with Pep Guardiola, he is, you know, diligent and very vigilant in what he does in every single aspect of his coaching to the letter. You have to follow his method or you don't play. So um, I do agree that you have to empower the individuals to do so, however. So when I'm dealing with a one-to-one client, it's not me telling them how to live their life because who am I to tell anybody how to live their life when it's one-to-one work? I'll often lead them to their own answer by good questions. However, I do have some good resources and some good suggestions. So I never dismiss what it is that they've said or tell them that they're wrong. I'll let them verbalize how they feel, let them lean into that emotion and then say, interesting, can I offer an alternative perspective or something like that? And then they'll say, yes, because if I ask for their permission and they give me their permission, it's different. It's not me putting my views onto them. It's asking if they'd like to see it from a different angle. Um, and it's very rare that people say no. <laughs> so, um, and then you give that perspective and that's it. Because whether it's coaching, mentorship, helping people, teaching, whatever you want to call it, ultimately is helping people feel better. And that's what I am uh, obsessed with. Okay. Well, uh, take us back then a little bit. We want to know more about your story, um, how you got your start, uh, what led you to where you are today? Sure. So... I was in hospitality for around 14 years and uh, I knew about 10 years in that I was, I was done. Uh, it was a, it's a young man's game in my opinion, mm. Not, can't do it. But the hours that I was doing and the time that I was finishing, I mean, it got to four or five o'clock in the morning mm. and when you get to your early thirties, it doesn't get any easier. So right. uh, I'm 34 now. And I, again, I just, I always love people though. I've been fascinated with people from a young age, I've got dyspraxia and ADHD, and this wasn't diagnosed till I was 15 years old. So I'd become very distracted in class and I couldn't keep up with the blackboard or the whiteboard, which it was at the time where the teacher was just writing down the notes on the board. If you couldn't keep up tough. So, uh, I was trying to write so quickly because with dyspraxia, it's hand-eye coordination. So you look down at your paper, you look up at the blackboard and it's, it may as well be jumbled all the words. And then you find your place and you say, ah, right. Okay. I had no problem with reading or writing, but the, the combination of the two, the looking up and looking down, I'd just become very disorientated. And then I'd try write so quickly that I couldn't actually read my writing because it's fine motor skills. So I'd become very frustrated 10 minutes into the lesson. So then I just started disrupting and being, <laughs> you know, um, let's say, uh, well, badly behaved really in, in the classroom. So. But I was fascinated by looking around the room and I'd look at the teacher and then I'd look at the child that's shouting. Then I'd look at the teacher's reaction to the child shouting and how the child responded to being shouted at. So I've always had this fixation on human behavior. And then when it was in hospitality, this just really increased because especially when they're intoxicated and it just used to intrigue me, the levels that people could get to and you saw all the highs and all the lows. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, my my story really, uh, to sum it up, was uh, about four or five years ago, I was suicidal and nearly ended my own life. So um, I was working in a venue at the time, which was very demanding, managing a large team of people, generating, you know, thousands upon thousands of pounds a week. Then I had all the stresses of managing a team, the stresses from head office, the stresses from customers. It was Christmas time. It's obviously hospitality. It's the busiest period by a mile. And I just was neglecting every single area of my health. So I was drinking too much, doing drugs, smoking, um, going out late at night just to try to forget the day that's gone. Uh, I was basically like a walking zombie for a month. You know, I was working sort of 15, 16 hour days, maybe longer sometimes. And uh, something's got to give by the end of it. And I, I broke down in front of my uh, sort of senior manager at the time, and um, which I really didn't like because we didn't see eye to eye. And I got signed off work. I went to the doctors, signed me off with depression. But this this was also part of the problem, which we can probably dive into a little bit later. Have you got low mood, Adam? Yes. Are you you know, do you find joy in anything at the moment? No. Are you sleeping poorly? Yes. Are you overeating? Yes. Are you drinking alcohol? Yes. Oh, you're depressed. And at the time I was like, oh no, I'm depressed. And he said, do you want some, do you want some antidepressants? And I was like, not really, because I don't want to depend on medication, but um, thanks for the offer kind of thing. And then a week later, my four-year relationship came to an end. Uh, very suddenly we decided to uh, have a chat about things and some time away and then my partner came back at the time and ended it very abruptly which was like I had a panic attack after that to be honest it was uh it was very very difficult because I didn't I didn't see it coming and I fell to my knees and I felt like I couldn't breathe it was uh, horrendous and then um, I lost two family members in a very short space of time so my auntie had a, a brain hemorrhage and then a other family member had a heart attack in the middle of a a grocery store, which was uh, obviously very unexpected. And then I went back to work way too quick. Uh, they only gave me 30 days off. The, the doctor prescribed that anyway. I went back and I was nowhere near close enough mentally prepared to run a multi-million pound business again. And um, again, fast forward a couple of months, my performance had gone down and my interest level had gone down and whatever. And they eventually said, we want rid of you uh, because of the situation that's going on. So I lost my job and then another family member passed away. So I'm three family members down, relationship down, living back with mom and dad at 30 uh, years old and jobless. So this was pretty much rock bottom for me, given that only a year before that I was flying high and life couldn't get any better. So it really brought me crashing down to earth. And then I ended up getting the my dream job in this certain bar in Leeds and I wanted to manage this place for, you know, over a decade. And I ended up getting that, which was great. I went to therapy, started rebuilding myself. And then all the highs were all the lows of working in this new bar because the late nights, the girls, the drugs, it was, you know, more prevalent than ever, unfortunately. So the good nights were great. The bad nights were horrific. And then I got a phone call from my best friend and he said that his dad had had a heart attack in the middle of the night. And this was like, he's like my brother, this guy. And that was the rock bottom for me. And I just went numb and it just really brought all my other emotions to the forefront of my mind, thinking all the the uh, trauma and grief had come right back again from where I was in March. This was in September at this point. And I just remember being at the wake and I must have drank about 10 beers. And at this point, I'm, you know, very much planning the uh, the suicide, right? Because I thought, well, I was Googling a couple of weeks before how to do it. Uh, what's the best way to do it? What's the least painful way to do it? How do I have as little emotional 
uh, impact on my family. You know, all this other stuff was going through my head. And I thought, well, if I just crash my car, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't want to even entertain the idea of hurting anybody else. So I remember drinking about 10 beers. By the time I was drinking so much alcohol that it didn't really touch the sides, to be honest. And people didn't have a clue that I was intoxicated because I was drinking on a, on a Saturday evening while working. I could drink a bottle and a half of whiskey and still function. This is how bad it got. So 10 beers was like nothing. And I went back to my parents' house because uh, it's five minutes away from where the wake was and uh, said goodbye, what I thought was the last time. And I felt a sense of freedom almost because I thought this is going to be it. I'm finally going to be free of this pain. And um, I got in the car and found like a relatively quiet area, hit the accelerator, was driving about 100 miles an hour, got a few, you know, got about 1,000 feet away. And then it was about 500 feet away. And then uh, I got a phone call and it just came up on the screen of mom. And I just, uh, something just came over me and I answered the phone. She's like, Adam, I was like, yes, like you've, you've left your wallet at home. Do you want me to drop it off for you? And I was like, bang, something just clicked in my head. And I just slammed the brake on. As soon as I heard a voice, that was all I needed. And the car was just sort of going crazy left to right. And it's sort of nearly spinning around. And I pulled into the lay-by and I just sobbed for about an hour. My shirt was just wet through. As soon as I heard my mum's voice, I knew I had something to live for. And then I started becoming really grateful really quickly. I'm not a religious person, but um, I started just thinking about all the great things that I did have in my life as opposed to the things that I didn't. And I know it's an old phrase, but rock bottom is a great foundation on which to build. I could not feel any worse or any more embarrassed or shameful or guilty about what nearly transpired that day as I did in that moment. And I also believe another phrase by Tony Robbins, life can either happen to you or life can happen for you. And I don't mean that the loss in my life happened for me. Those aren't good things, but something needed to change. I was broken and I needed rebuilding big time, brick by brick, uh, slowly over the last sort of four years. I've had my ups, I've had my downs since, but that moment was uh, the lowest of the low. And I thought, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. So I need to stop living a lie and stop living on other people's terms. I created this destructive character that was, you know, known as uh, Big Adam and, you know, the life and soul of the party and getting drunk every night and doing this. And I was creating this character that I was had to live up to and it was exhausting. And I just thought no more. And that's when, you know, a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit, I thought what perfect timing to reassess to restart and then mm. i started my coaching qualifications through the tony robbins academy and uh, that just led me to some incredible things one of you former guests david waldy's a good friend of mine to this day and he was one of the coaches on that and he's one of my business coaches now we've got a great relationship formed and then the business and my mindset and everything has just gone from from strength to strength ever since then so that's it in a bit of a, a nutshell but um yeah tough times Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you were you were mentioning that phrase from Tony Robbins, it, things happening to you versus for you. Mm. You know, it reminds me of something I heard from. Uh, let me backtrack for just a minute. We we're talking about coaching. Uh, now, this ha I don't pretend that everyone has my opinion, but this is mine. I believe that we are coached on many different levels by many different people through different avenues. So. 
We have one-on-one coaches. We have one-on-many coaches. Uh, We have coaches that teach us through video. We have coaches that coach us through books that we read. Uh, So lots of different ways. So I have a coach in that sense. Uh, His name's Dan Miller. He wrote a fantastic book many years ago. He's updated it three or four times since then. It's called 48 Days to the Work You Love. And one of the things that Dan talks about is he asked this question. And the first time I heard it, it's one of those things where you grabbed a hold of it because it was so impactful. It's like you will have it forever. It was one of those kind of questions. And the question is this, what does this make possible? Mm. Now, that is a question that I ask myself regardless if it's a good thing or a not so good thing. Because I guess I've gotten to the point in my life, Adam, where, and it took me a very long time to get here. And that is, if something challenging is happening in my life, if I get upset about it in some way, is it going to change it in any way? And if it's not, now I can say this, almost never do I give it any sort of mental or emotional energy anymore. It's like, it's not going to change the result. So why am I doing that? But then I ask myself those kinds of questions. Okay, this thing happened, whatever this thing is, and I can't change it. So what does this make possible? How can things be different? What can I do to make it better going forward? Those kinds of things. Um, You know, folks, if you get on Adam's, you know, his LinkedIn page or his his Instagram account, one of the things you're going to notice on there and I, it's interesting that you put it on there, Adam, and I know it's there for a reason. Um, you refer to yourself as a high-performance, alcohol-free coach. Tell me why you included alcohol-free in there. Yeah, I think it's the number one thing that is tripping up so many business owners and just people in general right now, even if it's a one glass of wine a night. The book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, really made me re- you know, reassess a lot of my habits. And the compound effect, basically. So you say there's three glasses of wine uh, to a bottle, roughly, large glasses, that is. So uh, let's say you have, I don't know, one glass of wine an evening. So that's two bottles, which is 100 plus bottles a year, right? So, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're having that and then it's 500 bottles over five years and then you just keep going. So. Sure. Surely without those things in your life, you're going to be a lot more productive, but it's the narrative that we've been told from a very young age. And this starts from when we're one or two and someone puts brandy on our teeth to make them stop feeling sore to the adverts where it's two big ripped guys and there's loads of hot girls around them. It doesn't show, you know, Dave or Steve sat by themselves in their pants drinking eight beers at home on their own, crying while watching Family Fortunes. It doesn't show you that side of alcohol. So now I used to work with it very, very closely for a long time. So it's not about demonizing it and saying it's the root of all evil because it's not. And a lot of people can control you know, their alcohol consumption. And if you are drinking one or two beers or one or two glasses of wine a night and you're genuinely sat on the end of your bed alone in darkness, happy, that kind of happy, with all of who you are, I am so jealous because I've never figured out how to do it. So if you are that person and you are truly happy in every aspect of your life, great. But if your relationship is struggling, if your energy levels are suffering, if your skin quality is bad, if you're overweight right now, et cetera, et cetera, it's the first thing I'd recommend just taking a break from. 
Take a break for 60 days, 30 to 60 days, and you will see the benefits for yourself because there's a drink for everything. There's the celebration drink. There's the bad news drink. There's the after work drink. There's the wedding drink. There's the airport drink. There's the 5 p.m. drink. There's the get home from work stressed out, go to the fridge drink. There's a drink for everything. It's Tuesday, <laughs> you know, right, right. <laughs> we don't need an excuse and we're, we're so flippant around it, but the dangers of overconsumption and reliance on alcohol due to the stories and the narratives that have been forced down our throats and that we believed uh, is extremely dangerous because a lot of people can't control it. I get that. I get that. So let's talk a little bit about not just your, your business, but what you specifically do uh, to help, you know, executives and business owners who they're just, they're not quite where they want to be and they need the help. So what makes you unique in the marketplace? So I think the main thing is that it's a similar method to what David Waldy um, applies in his business, which is almost like this fierce empathy side of things. We are very compassionate. We are very understanding. We're not going to get on our high horse and a lot of people, uh, I know that we're not personal trainers, but a lot of people in this remit, right? Here's what we need to do. Here's the plan. And it's telling you, this isn't, this isn't what we do. This is a very collaborative effort. And by asking good questions, not just questions, but by asking good questions that cut through the BS, you can get to the proper answers. So the way that we're unique in a sense is a very holistic approach to doing what we do. We've got a very good community of other like-minded individuals who can support you on your journey. You gain access to us over the 90 days or so that you work with us. Because again, when I did therapy, you finish on the minute of the hour, and then I'll see you again in two weeks. That was my experience. Mm -hmm. No communication in between sessions. I know that some therapists do it slightly differently, but that was my experience of therapy. Yeah. So it's um, extra accountability as well, because we all need that. Without my accountability of my personal trainer, I wouldn't go to the gym every, every day. No chance. So um, having that external person to push you and to guide you is, is very helpful. But I think the thing that separates us is our knowledge and also our uh, good questions, ultimately, and holding mm -hmm. that safe space for people without judgment or fixing. Give us an example, if you would, of what you term uh, a proper question. Sure. So if somebody said to me, um, oh, I always, um, oh, I always struggle with anxiety, I always repeat it back to them, always struggle with anxiety. And they're like, yeah. And I break it down because neuro-linguistic programming, obviously neuro is the brain, linguistic is the words that we use and programming is the combination of everything that we've been fed into our lives, thus creating programs. So always struggled with anxiety and they're like, yeah, all right, okay. But it's not always, is it? No, it is. But you didn't come out of the womb being anxious. You've developed this at some point. Now, some people, when you break out of rapport, might find this quite pedantic, but it's very important to understand the power of the words that we use. And when I think of a struggle, I think of a great fight from like a restraint. If you're struggling with anxiety or when you're going through an anxiety attack or a panic attack, typically when we're going through a physical attack, we feel the need to defend or to attack back as opposed to almost allowing the emotion to come in without judgment. So observing the emotion, sitting with it, I feel anxious. So the question, to go back to your question, the question I would ask is, when did you notice this behavior started to begin? Oh, I don't know. I've just always done it. And then again, you unpack it. It's not always. There would have been a time 
And then I walk them through something called timeline therapy, which um, essentially is an NLP technique, but I've done my own adaptation of it, where I'll get them to go back to their earliest memory of feeling anxious. Now, one person said, oh, I've always bottled my emotions up. So I said again, um, what's your earliest memory of this? What emotional attachment have you put toward this? How on earth is this holding you back to your current state now as a 35-year-old man from being a seven-year-old child? Who do you need to become in order to let go of this? How would this look in your life if you were to get rid of this? It's just asking more questions. So what I learned from the Chris Voss book, Never Split the Difference, around negotiation when he did it with the FBI, it's not asking why in any negotiation or any conversation. It's asking what and it's asking how. So if your child comes home from school and says, Daddy, I'm ugly. Daddy, I'm stupid. And you say, why do you think that? It's making out like they're the problem. As opposed to saying, how have you come to that conclusion? Or what makes you say that? So I do this and really as adults, we're all just big children. So <laughs> I ask very simple how and what questions. It's not like I'm, you know, the creator of all genius when it comes to questions. It's just reframing it and removing your own emotion. Because when a client's getting very emotive, it's very difficult to remain in a, a neutralized state because you care about them and you don't want to see them in pain. So if you can use this with not only clients, but with your family members, uh, not in a coaching way. If my partner says, I've had a really crap day, how do you feel this has been a crap day? <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's not going to go down very well, right? So right. instead, it's just a simple, um, going back to if it was a client, it'd just be, how have you come to that conclusion? And that's where you start to unpack it. Okay. You know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the word why just a moment ago, which is a word, but it's also a question. Mm. And it's not that I don't ask that question anymore. But I don't ask it nearly as often as I used to. And the reason, Adam, that I don't is because often I'll never know the answer to that question. It's almost an unknowable. Almost. I'm not saying that's always the case. Again, there's, there's one of those words, you know, always and never. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of those words for me. One of the things, and it, it doesn't take much uh, to discover this in, in looking into who you are and what you do, Adam, uh, habits are very important to you and to, I'll call it your coaching practice, because that's how I view it. I view coaching as, as a practice. It's, it's as if we are like physicians. We're, we're doctors in some way. I'm not saying we're actual doctors, but you know what I mean when I say that. So the practice part of it. Mm. We are yeah. technical difficulty, folks. Thanks for hanging with us. So you've created a little handbook called the Habit Building Handbook, and I know habits are really important to your practice. So tell us more about the handbook and why habits are so important. Sure. I mean, it, it, it creates everything that what we do as people, right? Everything we do is habit. And essentially what it creates in our mind is known as unconscious competence. I, you know, we don't know that we're doing it. So mm -hmm. we don't know that we're doing it well. So when you first start driving a car, all you think about is driving the car. Whereas now you think about everything else, but driving the car. <laughs> so, um, the same way, if you brush your teeth with your right hand and I said, right, switch to your left, it'd feel very, um, very strange at first, but if you brush with left for the next three years, you'll be absolutely fine. So this is the difference. Now <clears throat> we have a, um, tendency and a habit to do it around our feelings and our emotions too. We don't know how we do it, but it happens rapidly. 
So we have what was known as sort of emotional anchoring. So if you had from a young age were mollycoddled and um, your habit might be to go to a loved one and seek validation because mum showed you it from the age of five or six. And you go, mom, mom, I'm stupid. I'm ugly. Mum goes, don't be silly, darling. You're incredible. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're now going to use that as an emotional anchor and you're going to keep repeatedly doing it. Then you'll go back to mom and then you'll go to dad and you'll go to teachers and then it'll be almost a jazz hands lifestyle, right? And you'll carry this on and you'll become very confused when you get to adulthood when not everybody's as pleasant as mom is and not everybody loves you as much as mom does. So you become very frustrated, very confused, thus creating a bit of a lack of emotional intelligence. So you'll go back to this almost instantaneous, oh crap, I'm not supposed to feel good about myself, but now I don't know how to regulate it. And it happens so quickly, we go back to the emotional anchor. It's the same with our behavioral habits too. So it might be that, again, you started a habit at some point. So it's understanding when you saw this, why you decided to replicate it and why you've carried it on. So people go, oh, I, I always get beer after a Friday evening at 6 p.m. I've come home from work. So I get my clients to physically imagine that they're walk, doing the walkthrough to the beer. Okay, so it's a method that was in the James Clear book, Atomic Habits, known as habit hacking. So you don't want to try change an entire habit. You just want to hack the habit in a different way. So if, for example, uh, you come home from work, you've had a hard day, come through the door, bag on the floor, jacket off, etc., go to the fridge, open the beer, psst, put it in the glass. <sighs> Isn't that better? You can still get the same effect, but with a non-alcoholic beer. It tastes the same. It practically looks the same. Um, it's in a very similar design, but you're changing the destructive habit in a sense, but you're just really keeping the same behavior that's attached without affecting yourself in a negative way. So habit hacking is definitely the best way to do it. But there's a lot of science around this, obviously, the 21-day theory, the 66-day theory, the 100-day theory. To be quite blunt, it, it really either matters to you or it doesn't. And you will find a new way of doing things. So there's a study out there that basically says nine, I think it's 91% of people are on the deathbed or they're on the operation table. And the surgeon says to them, if you don't change in six months, you'll either be dead or you'll be back on the operation table. 91% of people don't change. Mm. People would rather die than change, which is frightening. <laughs> a very high percentage of people. So... We don't want to look to change everything about what they're doing. We just simply want to replace it. So we had a client who wanted to lose weight and he was doing everything. He was remaining in a calorie deficit in his own mind. He was exercising, drinking water, getting out for walks, you name it. Mm -hmm. And we got him to send over a bit of a food diary to keep. It. And he said, oh, you know, it was basically, long story short, the, the bowl of cereal on an evening, which is around 400 calories, was the thing that was tripping him up. And he said, but I love the, because throughout the day he was eating a healthy balanced diet, but he thought the cereal was just a light snack that was actually around 150 to 200 calories, but in actual fact, the portion size it was having was 400. So we've got two options. We can either just reduce the portion size or just get smaller cereal boxes, like the ones that you typically see the children have. Mm. So, but what we did instead was we broke down the habit. So. What specifically is it? Is it that you sat on the sofa at 8.30, then he stood up and he'd go to the cupboard, then he'd go to the fridge. So he likes to do this sequence of the cupboard, 
get the cereal out, get his bowl out, get the spoon in the bowl when it clangs in the bowl. Then he'd go to the fridge, then he'd get the milk, and then he'd like the sound of the cereal hitting the bowl. So, you know, and then he liked the repetition of the crunch of the cereal. Mm. Now, to some people listening, this might sound really strange, but this is how it works. So what we did instead was we didn't want to necessarily change too much around this. So instead he got like a protein yogurt because he could still go to the fridge. He didn't have the same thing. He wasn't as bothered about the pouring in the cereal as he was around the repetition of doing this and the crunch in his mouth. Mm. So we got him to do that. And the protein yogurt was only a hundred calories. The small amount of cereal on top was again, about 50. So over the course of the week, we've just saved him about two and a half thousand calories. So this is essentially how habit hacking works. If you're out on a morning walk and you usually listen to Spotify and you listen to the same music over and over again, maybe swap it out for an audio book if you're into self-development, or maybe swap it out for a podcast that might be beneficial. So this is the kind of thing. And but the reason why I'm so obsessed by it is because we all do it, including me. I have destructive habits too, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're all just people. But if you can identify what the one that you want to stop, swap it out for something that's a healthier alternative and then build from there. And that's how you'll do it as a really nice process as opposed to just trying to stop completely because the likelihood is you'll go back to doing it. Oh yeah, I, I can definitely see that. You know, a couple things came to mind when you were talking. The first one uh, is a, a phrasing that I kind of pieced together from several different sources, but it, it basically says this, there's always pain in life and you have to choose which pain you want. There's the pain of change and there's the pain of staying the same. When the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same, then things change. That's pretty much how that works, which you came to certainly that point in your life where that happened. I mean, talking about the big event. That certainly doesn't have to be on that grandiose of a scale in order for those kinds of changes to take place, for sure. And so, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast are quite obviously relationships. We Mm -hmm. talk about them all the time because it is my belief that if a person, and it doesn't matter if you work for yourself or you work for somebody else, there's still relationships involved because to me, business is personal because it involves people. And because it does, relationships are the most important thing. They are the greatest currency that we have. It's our relationships. And so I want to know, what is it that you're doing right now to build into, to improve, to make better your most significant relationships? And what impact do those relationships have on your business? Mm, Great question. Um, Effective communication is, for me, it's not the full game when it comes to relationships, but it's a huge, huge part of it. And Mm -hmm. the emphasis on the word effective because we all like to think that we're effectively communicating. We're not, we're, back, we're not, <laughs> we're just communicating. And there's a huge difference. So, and it comes down to leverage, similar to what you were saying before around cha- you know, changing or staying the same. If your partner said to you, um, John, listen, um, I really don't like when you drink, you'll probably go, okay, uh, I- I'll work on it, honey. Next weekend, you're drunk again. <laughs> and then look, John, I- I said last week, I really want you to stop drinking. Okay. I, I heard you. I heard you. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. Then week three, John, we talked about this. This has to change. Okay. I'll change. Nothing happens. You get drunk again. If you carry on drinking, I'm leaving you, divorcing you, and I'm taking the kids and you're not going to see them. 
oh shit, that's effective communication because you've got more leverage than you had before. So um, this is going to sound really strange, but at the end of the day, people listen to this podcast because they want to better themselves. So, and this is coming from people way more intelligent than me, but in relationships, when you're, you know, we follow a lot of films. We follow our lead with our parents and programs about how to show up in relationships and what have you. But using the specific, clear, effective communication is going to be the single biggest game changer when it comes to relationships. So when I first met my partner, she said, um, you made the bed wrong. Now, I didn't understand this at the time. I was like, what do you mean? How can you make a bed wrong? Well, you do it like this and you've done it like that. Da, 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 da. And I started becoming really agitated. But then one day she sat me down and she said, listen, I don't want to sound like your mother. And I don't want to sound like, um, you know, I'm <clears throat> sort of smothering you here, but making the bed's really important to me. It's something that my mom raised me with. I really like to have it done a certain way. And I'd like to show you because it means a lot to me. Now, as her loving partner, am I going to go, no, <laughs> if you do, you're probably going to have a few troubled relationships. So I just said, no problem. Show me how. And she showed me. And now I make it as good as she does because it's important to her. It was a zero out of 10 priority for me. And it was a 10 out of 10 for her. But if you want to have a successful relationship, make it at least a seven or an eight out of 10 for you because it matters to her. But she used effective communication. Now, only this was three or four years ago when we first started dating. Now, she said to me, literally, I think it is, what day is it? Yeah, she said last, last Friday, I think it was. What have you made the bed like that for? Now, I said to her, listen, when you speak to me with that tone, it makes me feel like a child. And I'm not a child. I'm your boyfriend. So I'd really appreciate it if you didn't speak to me in that way. And she said, oh, okay, sorry. But it's just not to the usual standard to which you make it. I said, no problem, but does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Or could you have let that slide? Did it have to be said? She then said, if I didn't say it, I would have held it against you. So we talked it out and it sounds ridiculous, but this is where the conversations and the arguments come of you always leave your socks on the floor. Mm -hmm. And it's what you touched on earlier. It's not always, and it's not never. So when we're communicating with our partners, you always do that. You never listen to me. And that's really what we're all chasing. We're all, we all want to be listened to. So it's such a key thing. And we don't get taught how to listen from a young age. So if you're not truly listening to your partner, and this isn't playing on your phone, half looking up, half looking down listening. This is in turning your phone the other way around on the kitchen table so they really know you're engaged, like Simon Sinek refers to. This is phone in the pocket. <coughs> I am going to be fully engaged with you and what is it you have to say. Now, equally, if I'm on my phone and I'm emailing or messaging someone and my partner comes in and just starts talking at me, I have to use effective communication. So I then say, oh, can you just give me two to three minutes? I need to send this email. And then I'm all yours. Because what most people do is partner comes in. Oh my God, you won't believe this. What happened? Da, da, da. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're not even listening to me. I am listening, but I'm busy, but you haven't communicated that you're busy. So it is very important to get this right. And I know to some people, this might sound like I'm teaching you how to suck eggs, but we all get it wrong most days in our relationship. So I tend to nurture mine through refinement. So I use something that's known as the three R's, which is reflect, 
refine, repeat, reflect on what's happened the week before. Did we have a good week? Did we have a bad week? I don't mean I sit down with her and we do goals together because that's not what we do. But I journal for my own mindset and I do it around my own performance in the relationship, not just with my partner, but in my business as a son and what have you. So I'll just use my journal to go, how could I do better? Or did I do great this week? You know, oh yeah, I called my auntie. I went to go see my mum and dad. I was, I was really present. This has been a great week. So what have I learned? I've learned that not having my phone on me was a game changer. So I don't really need to refine anything. I'm just going to repeat it instead. Mm. So using that method for any relationship that you're in and writing down uh, how you're feeling around the uh, emotional side of things is going to really help your relationships to flourish. But out of anything, just understand that the effective communication is, uh, is essential to a successful relationship, in my opinion. Oh, couldn't agree more with that. Who's investing in you right now? How do you mean in terms of? Well, I, I guess I would say it this way. For, for those of us who are, I'll just, I'm using a very broad term right now, and I'm just kind of go with it. Oh. Uh, it influencers. Hmm. Influencers many times are the ones who are doing the influencing, hence the term influencer. But what people rarely know about is who is it that's speaking into that person's life that's having an impact, that's making a difference? And that's what I want to know. Who is speaking into your life right now? Oh, okay. Oh, great question. Um, I, the main one is Jim Rohn at the moment. Okay. Um, Jim Rohn, for people that don't know, is Tony Robbins' mentor. So he was very much around before the big wave of everyone that's a high performance coach like me now trying to make it too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the originals. Um, his methods are just so simple, but they're so good because if everybody applied Jim's methods, the economy would be buzzing right now. So <laughs> in many ways, um, I tend to avoid too much content. I used to actually, when I first started the coaching business, every podcast I went on, I said, oh, I live my life by the three C's, constantly consume content. And I did this and it really confused me mm. because I'd hear Lewis Howes on one podcast say, make yourself a priority. I'd hear Tom Billu on the next podcast say, make your partner the priority. And then I'd hear somebody else say, make your purpose in your business the priority. And you're like, I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> so I just stopped, I stopped consuming so much content and instead um, just started to focus on one to three speakers. So Tony Robbins has had a huge impact on my life. I know a lot of people don't like him, but really they probably don't like him because he's worth $700 million. Um, if they're being honest, they might think he's quite brash. They might think he's quite loud and whatever, but it really works for me. Eric Thomas is unbelievable as well. Um, guy based in America, but yeah, Jim, Jim Rohn is, is the main one for me. And I'd recommend that anybody just start consuming his stuff for 30 days, just his stuff on YouTube, mm -hmm. his countless videos. He doesn't really have that many books, but he's got lots of YouTube videos to consume and, um, yeah, just start to implement the stuff that he teaches because the, the problem is obviously the algorithm in your phone is very clever, but it can sometimes get the wrong end of the stick. So if you're watching motivational videos, it'll just keep playing the next motivational video. But the problem is I watched a video where Steve Harvey said, sleep when you're dead and sleep five hours a day. And then you'll go to Matthew Walker, who's a sleep specialist, who will say sleep eight to nine hours a day. <laughs> and straight away you're conflicted because you're thinking, which one do I follow? 
So um, I just stick to one to three people in different areas, but Jim Rohn is the main one for me. Okay. What would you say is the top habit that every executive or business owner has to have? If you can't narrow it down to one, can you give me a top three? Oh, okay. Um, Stop drinking alcohol. Okay. Um, that's a, you know, go alcohol free basically is the, is the positive habit. Uh, drink more water and um, be a good listener. Love yeah. those. Succinct to the point. Love that. So simple. So simple. What do you have coming up, Adam, that has you excited? Mm. Uh, lots of things. So we've got a couple of big corporate contracts that are in the works at the moment, which will completely transform our business. Um, we've just started doing some work with uh, sports teams in in the UK as well, mm. uh, what was in the Premier League, which is um, very, very exciting. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to diving deep into that. And then just the continued work with our clients. You know, we just did our first men's retreat uh, about three weeks ago, and mm. we're looking at booking the next one for April uh, next year. And then we're going to look to do mm. one in September as well, because we might build a separate business model around that. So, yeah, it's a, like a five-day retreat, full immersion, uh, meditation, cold water swimming, huge breakthroughs, a lot of inner child work. Uh, yeah, awesome. So yeah, quite a lot of stuff coming up, mate, which is uh, very exciting for sure. Very exciting. Mm. Now, how can our listeners and viewers find you? Um, to be honest, mate, I, I think um, probably just through LinkedIn because I'm not really on much social media anymore. I, I found it very, uh, very distracting. So I am on Instagram. Is uh, Adam Smith underscore NLP coach. I've just started on TikTok a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is Adam Smith mindset coach. And then just, uh, yeah, Adam Smith. I know there's a million Adam Smiths, so apology. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and our website's under um, construction at the minute as well. I'm just redoing it. So I wouldn't want to sort of direct anybody to that at the minute, to be honest. But um, yeah, just just LinkedIn or, or Instagram. If people reach out, I will, I will get back to them for sure. Okay. That sounds great. Mm. Well, toward the end of every interview that I do with folks, I come to a final four and it's just four quick questions. I just want, to, want you to tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Sure. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Is that the first question? <laughs> yeah. Here's the, here's the first question. No, that was not the first question. Okay. Here's the first question. I understand that you're not a religious person, but just kind of go with this for a minute. Why okay. did God create Adam Smith or stated a different way? Why are you here? What's your purpose? To impact millions of lives. All right. I dig it. What are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Oh, um, Lost Connections is a book um, by Johan Hari. Um, Lost, yeah. So that's, that's the book that I'm listening to and mm -hmm. Jim Rohn YouTube videos. All right. What do you do for fun? Oh, lots of things. Um, I, I love go and this might sound a bit strange to some people, but um, I love going to the gym. I absolutely love it. Okay. It's a huge part of fun for me. Playing tennis uh, also is something that I really enjoy. Uh, but ultimately, fun-wise, is uh, watching my favorite sort of film or watching The Office with my best mate and eating good. Yeah, quite okay. a whole uh, life, really. Now, you said watching The Office. Now, is that the UK version or the US version? The US version, yeah. I must have okay. watched it. 20 times but it's just it's my uh comfort blanket that i put on as i'm prepping meals and stuff but yeah okay all right i like that what are you most grateful for oh 
the short answer is my uh, family and my relationships, but really it's, it's my health mm -hmm. to wake up every day and just have this ability to be living and breathing on this great planet. Like it's just, we all take it for granted so much. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, my health a hundred percent. Okay. Well, listen, Adam, thank you very much for your time today. I'd certainly appreciate it. I know our listeners and viewers are, man, You've dropped so much great information on us today. There's a lot for us to digest. So thank you for imparting your knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, mate. It's been great. You bet. And thank you all for tuning in today. As always, it is my honor and my privilege to be here today. Thank you for investing your most precious resource, and that's your time, because I know you can't get it back. So you all have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.